Uh, but we're going to be in Galatians chapter uh, 3, starting at verse 26, and we're going to read through verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 11 this morning. If you're just joining us, we have been looking at how uh, things that are genuine matter. And of course, this plays out as we think about the gospel, because uh, if we have a gospel without a cross, because there is no need for sin to be paid for, we also have a gospel without a resurrection, without new life. If we have a gospel without a, a God who sits on the throne and who is in control, we have a gospel without hope that there is any possibility for our world to be renewed and saved. And if we have a gospel without death and resurrection, we also have a gospel that does not make claims on our life. Because if we are not sinless, we do not need to be saved and we do not have, need to have our lives changed. And yet Galatians, the Apostle Paul in the letter to the Galatians continues to come back to that church and to us to say that the truth of the gospel matters for how we think about ourselves, our identity, how we put that gospel into practice and how we think about one another and how we think about the way we, we practice salvation, that we do not earn it, but that it is given as a gift, not just at the beginning, but all the way through. And this morning we reflect on that gospel again in chapter 3 and 4. And as uh, we do that, let's pause again to pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. Again, we're going to be uh, reading chapter 3, verse, uh, starting at verse 26. I'm going to pause after verse 28, and then we'll read again through chapter 4, verse 11. So in Christ Jesus... You are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, there is neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I want to hit pause here because this is a verse that in today's day and age has been used to articulate something about what it means to be a person. And the idea is that in Christ Jesus, our sexuality gets lost. In other words whether we are male or female or anywhere in between, as if we are in Christ Jesus, it does not matter. Now that is not at all what this verse is saying. Because when Paul is writing in Galatians, the only people who mattered in that day and age were men. Free men. 
And in fact, if you were going to go to a Jewish worship center, a synagogue, we would divide where the men would sit on one side and the women and children would sit on one side. And the women and children would only be able to listen in. It would be to the men who mattered that would be spoken to. And if you were a Jew, it meant that the Jewish people had the rights and would receive the inheritance. And so if you weren't born a Jew, you not only weren't uh, able to be in the synagogue and sit on the right side, you would have to sit outside. Now Paul, when he comes to the church of Galatians and he says, in Christ Jesus, the gift of salvation is for everyone. And what he is saying there is that if you want to receive the grace of Jesus Christ and you're sitting on the male, or excuse me, if you're sitting on the female and child side, you don't have to become a man in order to receive the grace of Jesus Christ. And if you're a slave and you're sitting outside of the synagogue, you don't have to become a free man in order to receive the grace of Jesus Christ. And if you are a Gentile who is far off, you don't have to first become a Jew. You don't have to be some circumcised. You don't have to do the sacrifices. You don't have to do all of that in order to be saved and receive the grace of Jesus Christ. This verse is not saying that in Christ Jesus we become ethnic-free, sex-free, in other words, in our biology, sexless. It means that those things which our world says divide and which our world and even within the church used to say we are in or and you are out, in Christ Jesus, they are no longer dividing barriers. And so we can with certainty say that Jesus has come for you. That the grace of Jesus Christ is for you. That is what Paul is saying. And that is what Paul continues to say to us. Those barriers are gone. Let's keep reading. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And what I'm saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, though he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. If you're wondering why that isn't childship, there's a footnote in there to explain. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, And so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. Since you are his child, God has made you an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. 
But now that you know God, or are rather known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. And I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. This is the word of the Lord. So this morning, uh, my family isn't here because they are at a baptism service of good friends of ours. They are at the baptism service of Edward, who was baptized from Uganda. And uh, Edward was born in Uganda. He was in an orphanage. He did not have any rights to the last name that he now has. He does not have any, uh, he didn't, wasn't born with any ability to make claims upon himself within this country. And yet several months ago, he became a U.S. citizen because he was adopted into a new family. And today, he is being uh, and receiving the mark of his adoption into his spiritual family. In some ways, those are done backwards chronologically, even though they are done in reverse order in God's plan. Now, in the Roman world, as Paul starts out here in the beginning of chapter 4, if you were a free Roman man, remember, children and women don't have rights. If you're a Gentile, you don't have rights. If you have, right, Outside, but if you are a free Roman man and you did not have a male heir, if you did not have someone that was born to you, you could go out into the world and you could find someone who you deemed honorable enough to become your heir. And so perhaps you were a Roman master who had hundreds of slaves. And so you had a favorite slave that you wanted to make your heir. Or you found uh, another son of a friend of yours in the community and you said, I want to make this person my heir. You could do that, which is what Paul is talking about here It's not about the oldest son. It's about a a person who doesn't have any children wanting to leave their inheritance. And just like Edward received with a stamp, and just like we all receive in the waters of baptism, that happens in an instant. But Paul is using that argument about adopting in, not in the Roman way, not in saying that you have to grow up and have to learn how to be a Roman in order to receive the gifts. It's not as if you have to now go through all of the training that this person, that the Roman male would have picked. You don't have to go to school. You don't have to go and receive the military training. You don't have to figure out how to be a leader in the community. You don't have to do any of that. You receive everything from God as an inheritance in Christ Jesus by the power of his spirit. Just like that. And it had nothing to do with time in our own present day. 
It's a time set by God. That move is talked about in verse 4. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Those of us who are, who are not perfect, who cannot move our way into God's good graces, that we might receive the adoption to sonship. And as that little footnote there in verse 5, if you have your Bibles open, you see it there. It's not in the booklet. Sorry about that. The Greek word for adoption to sonship is a legal term referring to the full legal standing of an adopted male heir in Roman culture. To receive the adoption to sonship, because you are his sons, God gives the spirits of his son into our hearts so that we may call him Father. No training, no acing your classes, no passing the military bar, not being able to give the oratory or the speech of a lifetime in front of the community group. None of that is necessary. God, in his good timing, comes to us, sends his son, and he says, you are my children. Now, if you think about that situation in the Roman world, with that adopted heir, and as Paul points out, what if that adopted heir is not yet of age? What if they're six? If the Roman male comes and says to the six-year-old, I'm going to pick you and you are going to follow in my footsteps and you are going to receive everything that I am promising to you, that six-year-old cannot become the ruler of the estate until the man, Roman male, says, you're good to go. And that's not going to happen for sure until he's in his 20s. Which means that when the six-year-old is moving through life every single moment of every single day, there is this fear of having to live up to the expectations of that person. After all, he's not a son. He's not born into that family. It's not like Cole and Evan and Hadley and Tate who are my children. It's not as if they are my children and I get to decide, well, they're not my kids anymore. No, the state says to me, they're your kids whether you want them or not. But at the Roman world, you could choose in this as Paul is talking. And if you, that six-year-old gets to 13 and suddenly gets a bit rebellious... That Roman male can, in the blink of an eye, say, you're no longer my heir. I'm going to start all over. And so you can imagine the feeling of this kind of a person trying to figure out, trying to live in such a way to be worthy of receiving the inheritance. To put it in today's maybe psychological way, that six-year-old spends an entire lifetime trying to earn the approval of a father. And when you say it like that, for some of us, things get pretty real because we know what it's like to try to live an entire life trying to earn the approval 
of an earthly dad. And Paul says, when you think about the gospel, and you think about the death of Jesus Christ, and you think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you think about how God sends his spirit into your life, and you think about the righteousness with which you are clothed, which means that it's not only that Jesus pays for your sins and takes care of it, it's also that when God the Father looks at you, he doesn't see your mess, he sees Jesus' goodness and holiness and righteousness. And that doesn't come when you have passed everything. It doesn't come when the father checks the mark and says, I approve. In Christ Jesus, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, so that Jesus would be fully like us in every way except without sin. Born under the law, in other words, demanding that he be perfect. To redeem those under the law, to save us who are not perfect, in order that we might receive adoption to sonship. In other words, we weren't supposed to be in the family because we had rebelled and turned our back on God, and yet God turns to us and says, You are my children. Which is why verse 6 can be read in such a passionate way. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, the spirit that calls out, Abba, Father. There's something in us that when we realize that the gifts that we are given, the gifts that we are receiving are not... We're wondering about whether God is going to give us his approval. There's something in our hearts that realizes an intimacy of God being available to us in every moment at all times that we are not sons that can lose it. We are not daughters that can bring dismay where God will suddenly decide, I'm going to start over and find somebody else. But God comes to us and says, I'm your father. Call me your father. Call me Abba. Speak to me. Call to me. Be in my presence as one who knows you have been adopted in already. All of the inheritance we may not receive or not receive, we may not experience now in this moment. But it is no less true that it is ours. We may not experience all of the fullness of life eternal. Freedom from sin. No more tears in the here and the now. But the inheritance is certain. For some of us this morning, I would encourage you with all heart, soul, mind, and strength. If we are still 
operating under this understanding that God in any moment can turn his back on us and flip the switch and say, you are no longer my son. You, have, you are no longer good enough for me because of some experience we've had in our own life. I would encourage you to read these verses over and over and over again so that the Spirit may breathe life into your weary soul. So that you can hear God say to you, you are my son, you are my daughter. I am your Abba, Father. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the gift of baptism. For we bring nothing to the font. We don't bring a good life. We don't even really bring a good name because we get a new name. It's why the sacrament of baptism is so beautiful, especially with kids. Because it reminds us that we can't do anything that deserves your grace. And Paul, in writing to the Galatians and writing to us, reminds us that you are not like our earthly fathers or our earthly mothers that demand us to meet a certain standard in order to receive approval. Not like earthly employers. Not like earthly friends. But you are a God who, when the time was right, you came to do what we could not do, to be what we could not be, so that we might be adopted and receive the spirit of sonship and call you Father. Thank you, Father, for coming to us first. Thank you, Father, for extending your grace to us in Jesus Christ, your Son. Thank you, Father, for sending your Spirit to fill us until the work is done. Thank you, God, for your gifts of grace. May we live in response to what you have freely given. In Christ's name, amen.